Hi everyone, I'm John Weissman, author of Brothers in Arms, Koufax Kershaw, and the Dodgers Extraordinary Pitching Tradition, which you can order at tinyurl.com slash dodgerpitchers, and the founder of Dodger Thoughts, which is publishing several times a month at dodgerthoughts.com. Uh, four months ago, I slowly began to follow through on my plan to post audio interviews that I conducted during my time researching and writing Brothers in Arms. Here is the second interview I'm posting from my work on Brothers in Arms, and it is a conversation with Bert Hooten, whom I think is one of the two or three most underrated pitchers in Dodger history. Bert was overshadowed in his time and is completely underappreciated today, considering he is one of the top 20 pitchers in Dodger history and one of the top 10 in Los Angeles history. This conversation took place in December 2016, and it traced Hooten's history from the time he came up with the Chicago Cubs and first met Tommy Lasorda to his acquisition by the Dodgers and sub subsequent successes there. Hooten had a famously poor outing in his Dodger playoff debut in the 1977 National League Championship Series, and I often fear that that outing has stifled recognition of how great he was overall in the playoffs as a Dodger, including an absolutely dominant performance in 1981, that was the year of Fernando Mania, but it was Hooten who had a 0.82 ERA in 33 innings. That was just critical for the Dodgers' World Series run. Uh, in the interview, Hooten also offered his thoughts on teammates and players he coached, from Tommy John and Fernando to Chanho Park and Pedro Martinez. So here we go. I very much hope you enjoy this interview with Bert Hooten. Just to start off, uh, what was the situation for you in Chicago in 75, and were you surprised to be traded at that point to the Dodgers? Uh, well, I'd spent three and a half years with them. We had three managers, four pitching coaches. You know, I was a young kid trying to establish my career. Uh Pretty much a four-seam fastball, four-seam curveball, four-seam change-up guy. And all four pitching coaches I had were sinker-slider guys, and they wanted me to throw sinkers and sliders even after all the success I'd had up to that point. And at the end of three and a half years, I was pretty frustrated. And you know, make a long story short, I asked them to trade me. I, I assume it was Austin and Red Adams were the two people there for when you arrived? Uh, well, Red was the pitching coach. Walt Austin was the manager. And so, I, I played for Tommy Lasorda and Lisey, the uh, winner of uh, 74. Oh, okay. He had seen me pitch uh, early in my career, right after I was signed. He saw me pitch in the Pacific Coast League when he was managing Spokane, and I was uh, very successful there, and after three years, you know, I was nowhere near the same pitcher, so he invited me to come down and pitch for him in Lee Say, which was a good experience. And did you get back to pitching the way you wanted to be pitching? Well, I was still with the Cubs then, so, you know, went back, and, you know, just all the changes and a lot of instability at that time in the organization. You know, for some young kid trying to establish a career, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation, especially, you know, I, I'd been pretty good everywhere else I'd been. And, you know, 
kind of progressively getting worse up to that point. So it, it was time for a change. Uh, well, when you got to the Dodgers, you threw a shutout in your third game. Were you already finding a new comfort zone that quickly? Well, Red Adams, you know, got with me to me, Red Adams, best pitching coach, you know, you know, in my lifetime, anywhere around. And, uh, you know, when I first got to the Dodgers, I was throwing a bullpen and getting really frustrated, trying to throw my sinkers and sliders. I knew they weren't very good, but I never could throw good ones. And he just kind of put a stop to it right in the middle of the bullpen and asked, you know, what the world was going on with me. And I told him, and he said, you know, just run it, you can the sinker and slider and go back to pitching the way you're used to. I mean, the way I did in high school, the way I did in college, the way I did when I first signed, uh, you know, everything was all good then. So that's what I did. I canned a sinker and slider and, you know, kind of like finding an old uh, lost friend. Was that the knuckle curve? Well, I still had my curveball. Yeah. You know, it was... I didn't need a sinker and slider, and you know, I had pitching coaches telling me if I was going to win at the big league level, I needed more movement on my fastball and needed a slider, so my mistake was believing them. <laughs> yeah. How did you develop that knuckle curve? Well, I was 14 years old, trying to throw a knuckleball after watching Hoyt Wilhelm pitch on TV one Saturday afternoon. And I went out to a Pony League practice, and, you know, common sense told me if you're going to throw a knuckleball, you got to put your knuckles down on it. And I'd heard to say you push it out, so I pushed it out. And I never could really throw a true knuckleball, but when I pushed it out, it always had a rotation on it. And the harder I threw it, the better it got. So, And I could always control it, so that was not a problem. Yeah. So that ended up being my curveball. Um. What was it like uh, joining the Dodgers? Um, they had a pretty rich tradition in pitching, and they were just coming off the World Series. So, were you got? Were you? What was the atmosphere like there when you arrived? Well, I mean, it's. I was looking for you know change of scenery. It was uh, at that point in time. It was my you know my career was you know really. You know, I was treading water and, you know, closer to sinking than I was going anywhere. So, you know, just getting out of the Cub organization and getting over there with the Dodgers, being there with Red Adams and Tommy Lasorda, and, you know, just the whole winning atmosphere um, was a big lift for me. You know, I didn't hear much about the World Series and, you know, in 74. It was This was 75. And I was looking ahead, looking forward. I mean, the Dodgers and, and the O'Malley's, uh, to me, you know, I think everybody probably wanted to play for them if they could. So I got that opportunity and, you know, thankfully made the most of it. Yeah, I'll say um, you have that streak in the second half of the season where uh, uh, you won 12, you went 12 and 0. And uh, can you? How much recollection do you have of uh, why things were going so well for you at that point? Well, like I said, you know, when I got over there, you know, kind of refound myself. Uh, You know, for three years I was, you know, like I said, treading water, trying to find myself, which 
I already knew where myself was. I'd lost it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with all of the information and the, you know, the people saying I need to do this, need to do that, you, you, it was more confusing than it was helpful. And once I got over to uh, the Dodgers, you know, Red Adams always had a way of making things simple, which uh, it got me back to simple, got me back to who I was, you know, before I even signed a pro contract. So, I mean, and just getting me back in my comfort zone. So, got in my comfort zone, got familiar with what I was doing, and, uh, you know, hit a hot streak, and, you know, that's how that happened. Did you have much interaction with Alston, or was it really mostly with Red? Well, I mean, you know, he didn't say a whole lot to many people. I mean, the big thing was, when I first went to the Dodgers, my very first game was a relief appearance uh, on a Sunday afternoon against San Diego in Dodger Stadium with 50,000 people there. And, uh, up to that point... With the Cubs, I was like 0-2 with about an 8 or 9 ERA in my first relief appearance. I blew a six-run lead and lost the game. So then I was 0-3 with about a you know 10 ERA. I don't know what it was. And he came to me after the game and tapped me on the shoulder. He said, I like what I saw, kid. You're starting next Friday in Pittsburgh. So, wow. And then I had my bullpen with Red Adams and got a few things straightened out. And uh, that first game in... Pittsburgh, I think I went six innings, gave up a run, and got a no decision. And then uh, uh, it was the next start that I threw, I think, a two-hit shutout against the Cardinals. And then I was, you know, off and running. Were you surprised he came up to you like that? Well, yeah. (laughs) I I, I was was as down as anybody could be. So that was a big lift, and Red was a big lift. You know, playing for the Dodgers was a big lift. Everything, you know. Uh, and a lot of it was just getting me to be me and getting myself in my in my comfort zone, and that, you know all of that helped helped do that. Um, one thing about that second half also was you were pitching nine innings practically every game. Did that? Uh, I know it's a different era back then, obviously, than we have now. But did that feel like a lot, or was it just par for the course? Par for the course. Really? Yeah, well, that's what everybody was doing. I mean, you didn't even think about it. Um, the, the next year, 76, uh, your ERA is still good. Um, and then you just, I mean, the, the win-loss, you know, you weren't quite as fortunate in 76, it doesn't seem like. Um, what was basically, did you settle in as a Dodger, and did you uh, feel comfortable in that organization pretty quickly then as those years proceeded? Well, after my first year and after the, you know, the 18, 18 win season, you know, that, that helped, what, you know, kind of solidify myself in my mind as a, as a, you know, a good major league pitcher and, uh, you know, and hanging around guys like, uh, you know, Don Sutton and Andy Messersmith and Tommy John and, you know, watching how they went about their business, you know, probably the, you know, the best teacher was just watching how all those guys went about their business and how they were successful. So, you know, a lot of it was just observing all of that and uh, wanting to be a part of it and working my way into fitting in. Uh, what impressed you about Don Sutton the most? 
Well, his drive, his determination, his professionalism, his, you know, his discipline. I mean, you could go on. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was, uh, I mean, I've seen Don Sutton when he's given up 10 runs. I've seen Don Sutton when he's given up no runs. And if you look at him, he looks like the same guy out there. I've seen him get angry back in the, you know, in the clubhouse, but. When he got angry, you never knew it. He, he was always a professional when he was out there on the mound pitching. So your first year was the year that um, Tommy John was recovering from the surgery. Did, uh, was he around much? I mean, did you get to see sort of at all? Yeah, what? he was my roommate. Oh, he was? Yeah, when I first got there, he, he couldn't hold a baseball yet. So I watched him uh, for, what, a year and a half, almost two years, go through uh go through a regimen which I'm pretty sure ninety nine point nine percent of other people wouldn't go through. When everybody was telling him he would never pitch again, he's the only one believed that he would pitch again. So watching him uh you know, his determination and his patience and his dedication and just how hard he worked was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. He kept his and he, he kept a positive attitude all the way through? Always, always. He, he, he's, like I said, it was the only one thought he'd ever pitch again. Um, that's amazing. When the Dodgers switched managers and Lasorda becomes the manager, obviously it's night and day in terms of personality. Uh, but what effect did it have on you guys as pitchers? Well, Tommy, you know, Tommy was, you know, always a, a good motivator. You know, he was instrumental in, the, you know, being real positive with me and, and you know like I said he saw me pitch when I was really good in uh, AAA and uh, you know he always remembered that and when he invited me to go to Lisey and uh, pitch for him it was all to you know help help me get myself back on track uh, you know very positive you know very upbeat very uh, you know he, he was good at you know, motivating and uh, getting you to believe in yourself. You know, and when he became the manager, I mean, that's what we were getting. We were, uh, uh, you know, we had all kinds of different personalities on our team. I mean, a few didn't get along with others, but one thing he could do was motivate the individuals to where they would go out there and perform to the best of their abilities. And he's one of the best I've ever seen at that. How did your nickname come about then? He nicknamed me Happy when we were in the uh, Dominican Republic on a New Year's Eve. And, um, you know, I'm not a big New Year's Eve guy, so I was playing solitaire when the clock struck midnight. And he just kind of looked at me and, you know, said, well, aren't you happy? And somehow or another it stuck. Well, I interviewed, I interviewed Jerry Royce last week, and he said that you are you are very happy and you are you are one of the most fun people he enjoyed being a teammate or roommate with i think well i'm not a real emotional guy i mean i enjoy life i enjoy uh everything about you know uh, the career i've had uh, the people i've played with we had fun uh, you know i'm one of the i like having fun just as much as anybody but I'm not going to be the one that's going to be jumping up and down and going crazy, you know, every time something happens. Um, but you enjoyed 
like for example with Jerry, you enjoyed his company and the stuff he was up to. And oh yeah, yeah, we had a good time together. And Jerry was funny. Jerry was Jerry was one of the clowns on the team, but you know he was a hard worker. He was a professional. He he came to win every day. I mean he was you know a joy to be around. And you know you know when you have guys like that that you pitch with, we kind of motivate each other. And he was one of those kinds of guys. Um, in 77, you guys go to the playoffs and you have, um, a low moment in Philadelphia and then an, you know, incredible moment in, uh, Yankee stadium. Can you talk about kind of the highs and lows of that postseason? Well, I mean, I was pitching well in Philadelphia and, you know, got into a situation, it was a tight ball game, got into a situation where, uh, um, you know, I had to make a big pitch. Uh, I think Larry Christensen, a pitcher, was pitch. I mean, pitching against me, he was hitting. I had a couple of runners on, and two outs, and I threw what I thought was a call third strike, and I think a lot of other people thought it was too. Mistake I made was uh, it was called a ball, and I lost my composure, so to speak. And one of the lessons uh, you learn as a pitcher, you know, once you lose your composure. It's really hard to get it back, which it was that day. And, of course, all the fans picked up on it and, uh, you know, got real loud in there. But and, you know, I, I threw what I thought, you know, a few more pitches that I thought were strikes and didn't get them. So, you know, I was mentally uh, mentally out of it by that time. But, you know, the lesson learned there was the can't lose your composure, and then going into New York, I mean, thankfully we made it to New York. I mean, that start there in Yankee Stadium, I knew exactly what to expect in the first few innings. and I determined the only way I could shut him up was to go out there and pitch well, which, you know, thankfully I did. You know, by the, by the fourth inning, they were off on me, so that allowed me to, you know, pitch my complete game and move on. Was that a career highlight? Yes, it was. Well, nobody talks about the New York game. They all talk about the Philadelphia game. Well, uh, it's funny because my first year really following the Dodgers from start to finish is 77, basically. So um, that, I mean, that game was, that New York game was enormous (laughs) for someone like me. Um, No, they were all on me. As soon as I walked out of the bullpen to go, go start my game, they were... They were all over me. Uh, but I think, uh, I, you know, one of the, my abilities was to, you know, block all that out and, you know, just concentrate on performing the way I needed to perform. Like I say, in the Philadelphia game, I lost my composure, and once you lose that, then you lose that, that mentality, and it's hard to get it back. So I prepared myself for all of that and, uh, you know, moved on. You had uh, three seasons in a row, uh, 77 through 79. Your ERA was below three. Um, one of those seasons, you finished second in the Cy Young, but all three of those seasons are good years. Does the Cy Young, the runner-up season, stick out for you, or do you feel like you were the same pitcher all the way through? Well, actually, I thought my best season was the 77 season. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had 15 notices. Yeah, I felt like I averaged close to seven innings to start for the whole season, and 
you know, my ERA was really good. I mean, I pitched well enough to win, you know, a lot of games that season. And pitching-wise, just raw pitching-wise, I felt like that season was, was much better than any other season I had. Did you feel at all you were an underrated pitcher? Because I feel I never you were. worried about things like that. No? No, actually, it was kind of nice pitching on the staff with so many other good pitchers, you know, and it happened when Fernando came. Uh, you know, the press left me alone and went to all those other guys. So I, I wasn't a big, you know, I, I wasn't seeking the limelight. I just wanted to pitch. Um. What, uh, when Fernando first arrived, which was in September of 80, what was your first, do you remember your first impression of him, and did you realize what he was about to become? Well, I didn't know what he was about to become. I was pretty impressed with him from the from the get-go, based on what he was doing. And, you know, to see, you know, we had no idea that he, you know, he would rise as fast as he did, but it was fun to watch. Um, and then, like you said, you were sort of got to be off to the side as he became the center of attention. How do you, th- how do you think he handled all that? Uh, amazingly well. Uh, he was a, a kid that was twenty years old, and uh, you know he's got to do press conferences before every game he pitches. He got to do press conferences after every game he pitches. I mean, he's got the whole. Latin world watching everything he does which to me the Latin audience was always bigger than the uh, uh, you know the American audience so uh, you know he's got a got a whole half a world watching everything he does and for a 20 year old kid to handle things the way he handled it was pretty remarkable how is he and then still go out and pitch the way he pitched oh yeah of course (laughs) how is he with you guys in the clubhouse he was a pretty quiet kid. He was quiet, uh, didn't say a whole lot. You know, he had, he had a good sense of humor, like he does now. I mean, he was uh, just like any 20-year-old kid would be, you know, thrust into that. You know, very yeah, very confident, very good athlete. You know, he, he was a good kid. We, we enjoyed it. So, in 81, again, even though Fernando had the spotlight, your postseason was incredible. Um, and I'm gu- I guess I want to know how you were feeling and how you, how, what your men- mental state was, for lack of a better word, heading into that postseason. Because you, you know, you threw five, you started five games, and you should have, you could have won all five. You lost one game, and you didn't give up an earned run. So, yeah. um, what was what was that postseason like for you? Well, again, I mean, you get hot at the right time, and the, and the other thing is, you know, probably one of the hardest, you know, you know competitors to beat is the, the one who doesn't have anything to lose. I think when we lost the first two games to Houston in the miniseries, I mean, we're 0-2, everybody's expecting us to lose, and I'm starting game three, so... Everybody's expecting me to lose, and I, you know, I've really got nothing to lose. You know, so I can relax and go out there and perform. And lo and behold, if we didn't win, um, same thing in the uh, league championship series. We what? Uh, let's see if I can remember. We lost the first game, and that's back when it was best three out of five. Uh huh. We. Uh, 
No, well, and actually, you won the you won game. Yeah, one, I won the first game. But and you then, lost uh, game. You lost we game lost two. The second game and the third game. Correct. So I'm pitching the fourth game, and then again, you you got your back against the wall. We're in Montreal, and uh, another I don't have anything to lose situation. So you can go out there and relax and let it all hang out. And you know, lo and behold, we didn't win that game. So and then going going through the World Series. Uh, I think we what we lost the first two games of the World Series. I lost yeah. my first game. Yeah, that was one. And then, no then we go wins. win the next three in L.A. So I'm pitching the sixth game, and you know that's a pretty good spot to be in after just sweeping them in L.A. and getting yourselves back into a position to win. So um, you started against Tommy John. Was did, was that weird at all? Does that not matter at that point? In game six. Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, uh, to me, one of the biggest mistakes made in that series is when Bob Lemon took him out for a pinch hitter in the fourth inning. I mean, I don't think we were going to hit Tommy John. And uh, when he took him out, you know, I'm on the mound, of course, pitching, and I think they have a couple of runners on. And uh, I forget what the score was. It was a pretty tight score. Yeah. And we had two outs, and... And when Bob Lemon took him out of the out of the game, I couldn't believe it. And I still remember watching Tommy John at the end of the Yankee dugout shaking his head like, I can't believe it either. So I agreed with him. Yeah. And my whole thought process was they sent Bobby Mercer up there to pinch hit for him. I'm, my thought process was if I get Bobby Mercer out, we win the World Series. So, you know, he had a fly ball to right field, and we went on to win. Yeah, you scored. Uh, it was one to one. Yeah. So, and then you guys scored three in the next inning. You were off to the races, basically. Right. There are two other guys, young guys from that time, were um, Bob Welsh and Steve Howe. Um, Welsh going back to, I guess, '78. I think. What was um, What was he like? Well, I mean. Pitching-wise, I mean, he, he was as good as anybody. I mean, very good fastball, very good curveball, very good command of both. Uh, great competitor. Uh, you know, he you know he was he was he fit in he fit in real well with us. Uh, Steve Howe the same way. I mean, Steve Howe's you know great fastball, great slider. Threw the ball over the plate. Had a good idea how to pitch. When he got on, when they got on the mound, he he was a great competitor. You know those two guys. Those two guys were real good. Were you surprised to learn about the personal troubles they were having? Well, yeah, of course. I, mean, it's, I think we all were. When you know, wish we could have done more to help them out, but it's, it didn't seem to affect their pitching any. All right. What do you have any? Um, do you have any other sort of favorite stories from your time with the Dodgers? Just the, the, your favorite memories from that time. Well, the whole ten years is a favorite memory. I mean, uh, the O'Malley's great, great people, great people to play for, work for. I mean, uh, and it's uh, you know just was a first class organization all of the way. Uh, it was a solid, I mean, they had people, you know, they'd been working for them for 40 years. I mean, and it's, 
like they hired good people and they left them alone, let them do their job. And uh, just a very, very solid, good, you know, organization. Now, that would be my favorite memory and, uh, you know, a favorite story. Just the whole, you take the whole 10 years. And in the nine years I coached in the organization with them, I mean, I got to spend 19 years with, uh, you know, in my mind, the, the best organization to work for. Who are some of the favorite people you coached? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, Pedro Martinez I had in AA, Darren Dreifer, Pedro Estacio, I had John Ho Park, I had, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to, you know, Mike, Mike Piazza was there when I was there. Uh-huh. Uh, just fun to watch all those kids start and grow up. Many more. I mean, I can't bring up with any of them. Yeah, did you know what you had? You got what Pedro had. Pedro Martinez had. Well, he was a very good pitcher at the time, and we had him at nineteen years old. And you know, he, he was very, very good. He wasn't in the minors for very long, was he? Well, they put they signed him and put him in the big leagues uh, quickly. I don't know, maybe a week or two or whatever. And then I was a pitching coach in Double A in San Antonio, and they sent him down to. Uh, double a and when he got to double a i mean i ended up picking him up at the airport and you know he's another remarkable story uh, spoke spoke no english you know he's a 19 or 20 year old kid halfway around the world trying to make uh, a living in professional baseball basically he's over here by himself and like i said English, I mean, English and Korean, you couldn't get two languages, you know, more <laughs> right. directly opposed to one another. Right. And uh, he had his uh, interpreter with him. You know, I remember him being very lonely. He's, you know, good kid, good sense of humor, good, uh, you know, just good personality. You know, he had the whole country of South Korea watching everything he did. Even in double A, they would broadcast his games in double A back to Korea, and he wasn't doing real well then. And he was getting a getting a real quick education on the field and off the field. And you know, a very smart kid. Very, I mean, you stop and think the situation he put himself in. I mean, I'm not so sure that me or a lot of other guys like myself could have gone to Korea at 20 years old to try to make a living and you know other things just the culture is different the diet's different you know, everything over here is different and for him to do what he did and make uh, make a success out of himself is a pretty remarkable story what was the key for him to do, to make that leap well just patience, maybe. I mean, and overcoming. And uh, Peter O'Malley was was I think uh, way instrumental in you know keeping him you know sane and you know keeping him as a friend and you know reassuring him. And uh, you know, in the early years, I know he still does now, but uh, he just, he just needed time to grow up. I think his uh, learning English pretty quickly. Went a long way in helping him out a lot. I mean, uh, first year he came, he couldn't couldn't speak a word of English, and then the second year, 
you know, he could carry on a halfway decent conversation with you. It was pretty basic conversation, but he started to learn English. Now he speaks English fluently. Uh, and just, uh, you know, his whole, you know, makeup, his demeanor, his competitiveness, his, you know, he was a uh, pretty remarkable story. Yeah. I've heard he's pretty outgoing. He's very outgoing. Yeah. You know, I mean, if he'd have been an American guy, I mean, you'd have never known the difference. But, uh-huh. You know, he was Korean and had all these obstacles to overcome. Well, I guess one just to wrap up your Dodger playing career. Did you um, your innings start to go down in the last two or th- three years? Did you start to have any physical issues at that point? Uh, yeah, uh, my knees, you know, started to to give out on me. Uh, I'd had a basketball knee injury in high school, and it started to catch up with me. You know, in uh, nineteen eighty two right after the World Series, and, you know, I had it operated on in 82 and probably came back a little too soon on it. And left knee started to bother me, and, you know, before it was said and done, the knees were shot and just couldn't, you know, back then they didn't have the abilities to fix things like they do now. So, uh, yeah, knees are worn out. In fact, I just had a knee replacement two weeks ago. Oh, did you? How are you doing? Doing well, doing real good. Getting ready to go to rehab right now. Yeah, my father-in-law had both knees, so it's. Uh... Well, I've got both knees now too. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing what they can do, but now everything's good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk, and like I said, uh, I really valued you as a as a young fan uh, growing well, thank up. Thank you. So there you go. Hope you found that interesting and fun. Again, I'm posting these conversations much more slowly than I would have liked, but hopefully they're worth the wait. I do plan to post more and increase the pace. And if I can get my act together, I'd like to start integrating some new post-brothers-in-arms interviews with different people, both in and outside the world of baseball. If you haven't, please check out Brothers in Arms at tinyurl.com slash dodgerpitchers, as well as the Dodger Thoughts website at dodgerthoughts.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Weissman, J-O-N-W-E-I-S-M-A-N, and follow on Instagram at Dodgers underscore tradition. Uh, thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this, if you don't mind spreading the word about this podcast, it would be great. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening.